All right, welcome to the first episode of Do Loss. And today we're going to jump right in and talk about the most important thing in the universe. It's the most important thing that we all crave and desire, but hate and disdain at other times in our lives. So it's a vital thing that we all need to operate in the world and to function on whatever level. Babies need it, old men need it, old women need it, teenagers. Everybody across the world, no matter what nation you come from, we all need this one thing. And what is that one thing? The one thing is truth. Now, we all know what truth is, even though there's a lot of different definitions out there in the world that talk about what truth is, whether it's relative, whether it's objective, whether it's independent, whether there are a lot of other philosophical meanings behind it that I tried reading about. And I was like, this is way too convoluted. I'm just going to stick with what I know. And like I said before, I'm not a uh, educated uh, PhD philosophical student. So I just go based off what the Bible says, and that's what we're going to uh, get to. But first, we're going to just start with a basic definition of what truth is. So according to Merriam-Webster, truth is the body of real things, events or facts, actuality, fidelity to an original or standard or constancy. So we generally understand what things and events and uh, facts are, so I want to focus on what is real. How do you know what real is? And another uh, definition from Merriam-Webster says that real is having objective, independent existence. So for something to be real, it has to exist. Now again, I know this is tedious, but I think it's important. What, what does it mean to exist? Exist, according again to Merriam-Webster, says to have real being, whether material, or spiritual. So I think we kind of understand the difference between material and spiritual. Material is what we see, what we taste, what we touch. Uh, and spiritual tends to be a little bit more mystical. We don't really see a lot of spiritual things. We don't really feel spiritual things as far as we can. Like I know I'm talking to a camera right now. I can see the camera and I can see my the apartment that I'm sitting in. So I know we're, I'm living in, in a material world, but I know that we're more than material. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So what, is, what does it mean to have being? And again, from Merriam-Webster, it says the quality or state of having existence. So all these words, real, being, uh, and, and truth, kind of flow together and they kind of explain one another. So now the word exist comes from the Latin word, mean, uh, the Latin word existere, meaning to be or to exist. So to just break up the word, ex, the prefix of the word, means to out, it means out of or to come from. And ist means to be. So exist just means to be out of or come from something. So I can say that I exist because of my mother and father, because I, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. I, I exist from them. And so from these definitions of, of real and of truth, we, say, we see that truth is real, it's independent, and it's constant. And so the next, the next question is, well, how can, we determine, how can we determine truth? And I think, again, this is, this is basic to, I think, you know, elementary children would understand that what is real is what we can perceive through the senses. So we know our, our five senses that we learned in elementary, we have sight, hearing, tasting, touching, and smelling. So these are objective, um, but they're limited because what I see may not be what somebody else sees. What I hear may not be what somebody else hears. So although, although what I'm looking at is a camera objectively, um, somebody else may see it from a different angle and think it's something else until we, all, we, until we both get a full picture of what we're looking at. 
So single testimony without corroborating, without corroborating evidence is not uh, sufficient. Uh, like I said before, my vision could be obstructed or my hearing could be muffled. I could think I could think I heard something, but I really didn't hear it or I misinterpreted misinterpreted it and uh, didn't get the full context. So certain things are obvious to the sentence to the senses. So, for example, when we look outside, you see birds flying and you see the wonder and the grace and the, the lightness with which they fly. And you uh, can determine quite quickly that humans cannot jump up and fly. I'm, I can't get up from this chair and jump out the window and fly because we all know gravity would bring me down and I would be dead. So we can see obviously that birds can fly. They can go through the air naturally. Humans, we naturally cannot do that. This is obvious to, the, to, to our eyes. Anybody who can see, you can, you can tell the difference between that. And so truth is real. So the second definition is truth is independent, self-sustaining. And for example, there's no... Um, there's no human that is self-sufficient. We all need water. We all need food, oxygen. We need, we need our hearts pumping blood throughout our bodies to keep us alive. So we don't really operate on our own. We have all these exi uh, ex existential qualities or external qualities or things that we use to stay alive in this world. So when it comes to independence and in regards to truth, the question to ask is, would this, whatever this is, would this be true if no one saw it, heard it, or investigated it? Or conversely, if anyone, if anyone saw or heard it or investigated it, regardless of affiliation, would the same conclusions arise? So no matter who would take a look at whatever is being investigated or heard or saw, would they come to the same conclusion? Would that same thing still uh, arise? Would it be in independent, meaning like if I look at it and somebody else with a different background looks at it or different um, upbringing looks at it, will they still come to the same conclusion? And if they do, we can more readily believe that this is a true, this is a true thing. And there's, of course, a whole nother um, thing that you can go get into, but we won't get into that detail for now. The last definition is truth is constant. So it doesn't change based on time, location, or circumstance. So what was true in 1233 is going to be true in 2033. What's true in America is true in China, and what's true when I'm rich is true when I'm poor. You know, there's a saying that goes around that money doesn't, uh, money doesn't bring out, or money doesn't change you. It just brings out what you already were. So when you're poor and then you become rich, you're just going be, to become more of who you were when you were poor. So if you were generous when you were poor, you're going to be more generous when you're rich. If you're greedy when you're poor, you're just going to be more greedy when you're rich. And so the good news is, though, that truth can be known. I know it's a it's some people believe in the, the term postmodernism, where we all define our own truth and we all come up with what we think is right. But we obviously don't operate in the world like that. When we go out to drive a car or we're walking along uh, the sidewalk, we know for sure that if we jump out into the street in front of a car, we will die or at the very least get injured, depending on how, fa how fast the car is going. We all, when we get paid, like if I get hired to do a job for $50,000 a year and they pay me $25,000 a year, I'm not going to just say, well, they, they interpreted 50000 as 25000 I'll just go along with my business. Nobody would do that. We all know that there are objective qualities that we, that we, uh, we all believe in to operate in the world. So the truth can be known because the Bible has been revealed to us by God himself. God is the omnipotent, omniscient being who created the universe, who created all of us, and who sustains all of us. And because of his omniscience, meaning he's all-knowing, and because of his omnipotency, meaning he's all-powerful, 
he would have no reason to hide the truth from us or to, or to trick us as if, if we found out we would punish him or attack him for doing so because he can't be touched by us. He can't be affected by us. He created us. He sustains us. He wanted to kill us. He could, and he does still today to punish us for, for sin. So the revelation is not something that even God is obligated to give us. If he didn't tell us who he was or what he wanted from us, he, he's not obligated to tell us. He's God. He decides what's right, what's wrong. He decides what's, what is evil and what is good. And we just have to submit to it or not submit to it and, and face the consequences either way. And again, the bad news is that the truth is not, isn't what we like to hear all the time. You know, when and I do something wrong and my wife calls me out on it, I'm not exactly jumping up for joy about it. I don't really like being called out when I'm wrong on something or when I'm doing something bad and I'm told that you shouldn't be doing this. I don't think anybody feels comfortable being told the truth in that, in that circumstance. But we know that people that love us will tell us the truth and will guide us and tell us what, where we need to go, what we need to do, because they want what's best for us. So... Um, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about why we have a natural bent against what is true. And Jesus was meeting with Nicodemus. He was a Jewish rabbi who was a really a master teacher. And he was dialoguing with this rabbi. And Jesus talked about the nature of man and why we don't like what is true. In John 3, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says to him, He that believeth on him, meaning himself, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, which is, is Jesus. And he, Jesus says this, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, and neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Again, that's going back to the point I made earlier about how when you're exposed for doing something wrong, you don't, you don't like it. It's uncomfortable. So we like to do things in the shadows. We like to do things away from the eye of the law or from our parents or from our authorities because we don't want to be reproved. We don't want to be rebuked for what we're doing. But he says this, He that doeth truth cometh to the light, lest that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So those that are doing what is right, those that are doing what is what, what is good, they have no they're not scared about people finding out what they're doing because they know they're doing what's right. They don't have any motivation to hide or to obscure themselves or try to uh break off from the group because no matter where they go, what they're doing, they have no they have no um no fear of what might be known of them because they're doing what's good. There's a passage in Proverbs that talks about how that the the way of the righteous is made plain. And then it talks about how the wicked flee when nobody pursues them because they're so scared about what might be happening or scared about being found out that they're jumpy. They're, they can't really trust who they're around because they don't want to be exposed for what they're doing. So we are naturally inclined to lie, which is to not tell the truth, to not tell how things actually are because we want to protect our self-esteem. We don't want people to think bad about us. Uh, we want to protect our, comfort our comfortability. We don't want to kind of jostle our relationships with others. And we all face that temptation just to be quiet and not say things that, are, that need to be said because we don't want to mess up the relationship that we have and cause some turmoil. We don't want to mess up our livelihood. Sometimes we've done things wrong and that have been beneficial for us. But if we come out with the truth, then we may be ruined. We may lose a lot of money. We may be held accountable and not be able to live the comfortable lives that we've had. 
And of course, the main thing we like to protect is our reputation. We want people to think of us in a good light. We don't want to think we don't want people to think of us as if we are terrible, evil, you know, liars or, or thieves or people that lust or whatever. We want people to think of us as just these pure as driven snow. We we never do anything wrong. We're always right. But we know that's not the case. But we still will fight to protect that image of ourselves because we, we love ourselves. So when it comes to the the truth about what um, about what we are, about what God has told us in his word and what he has revealed to us. Again, remember that revelation is grace. God didn't have to do this, but he did it anyway because he's a, he's a gracious God. And that's what he brings out in Exodus 34, 6, when he talks to Moses on the mountain. And he, Moses has asked him, show me your glory. Show me more of who you are. And God says, OK, I'll show you who, more of who I am. But I will place you in a rock where I'll pass by and you'll only be able to see behind me. And then it tells what God, how God describes himself to Moses on that mountain as he's passing by. And he says, and the Lord passed by before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. So the first adjective that God used to describe himself is merciful. Gracious and then long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. God is abundant in truth. He doesn't hide the ball. He's not willing, he's not uh, he's not scared of us finding out who he is. He wants us to know more of who he is. So he's willing to describe more of who he is to us so that we can know him and know what truth is and live more live in a world that truth is the 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 pinnacle of of everything that we do and believe and the foundation of everything that we do and believe and know that we can live uh live in a way that's pleasing to him and uh pleasing to even ourselves it'd be self-fulfilling because when we walk in obedience to god and we trust in him who is the truth we tend to do that which is uh that which is good in his sight Another verse that talks about truth in a different investigatory way is that in Deuteronomy thirteen fourteen, when it says, when God is telling his people, then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently and behold, if it be truth and the thing be certain that such abomination is wrought among you. And so God is telling them, this is in regards to people who were wanting to go serve other gods. And if they were trying to draw people away from serving God, God wanted the judges of Israel to go and investigate. So People's, you couldn't just make a claim that this guy was wanting to go serve other gods. They had to go investigate. They had to go inquire. They had to make a diligent search to make sure that what this person is saying is true, especially because the death sentence was because there was a death sentence. You were put to death for trying to go serve another god. So they wanted to make sure that if somebody was making this claim, you got to go do diligent search. And that's part of knowing the truth. You have to go do diligent search, diligent research to make sure that what has been said or what has been claimed is true. Another example is when the prophet Elijah is uh, doing his ministry in the Old Testament and there's a woman whose son has died and she calls him back because initially she had told him or he had told her that she was going to have a son. And so when the son dies, she calls him back and says, why did you tell me I'm going to have a son if, you know, he, if he was going to die? You know, that's that's kind of a sick joke. Obviously, she's in, she's in grief, so she's not really. Um, she's angry with what has taken place, but Elijah comes back and then he actually brings the boy back to life. And the woman says this to Elijah. She says, now by this, I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. So again, 
because of corroboration, because Elijah wasn't a false prophet, because Elijah was able to bring a boy back from the dead, that clearly shows that he is a prophet of God. He's a servant of God who can, um, who speaks the word of God in truth, and he's not just speaking from his own mind, because he did a, he, he did a miraculous thing for this woman, bringing her child back to life. Another example is in Hosea 4.1, where the Lord says to the children of Israel, the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. So everybody was just doing what they wanted to do, and they weren't following what was true, what God had revealed, because what God reveals is truth. God, the Bible calls God a God of truth. And so because they were not obeying God, and they weren't showing mercy, and they had no knowledge of God, God was angry with them and angry with their, with their nation. Now, when we go to the New Testament, when Jesus comes down, the Son of God, like we read earlier, Jesus himself makes a pretty startling statement. In John 14, 6, he says, Jesus saith unto him, talking to one of his disciples, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But let's focus on the second word that he describes himself as far as saying he is the truth. Now, if I were to walk up to you on the street and I told you I am the truth, you would assume that everything I tell you will be true and everything in my life would be full of integrity. I'll, I'll never have done anything wrong or lied or anything. But it wouldn't take you very long to find out that I've lied and I've done things that I shouldn't have done. So I wouldn't be, you know, everybody would laugh at me for saying that I am the truth. You know, for somebody to say that they are the truth is to say that they embody everything that is true and that everything that is true is based off of their existence. And that's a pretty lofty statement to make, but Jesus himself made it. And, you know, it wasn't shocking to his disciples. It wasn't shocking to those around him that believed in him because they knew that he was God incarnate. And God is the revelation. God is the revealer of truth. And he's the one who has a, a soul. You could say a soul owning of the truth. He, nobody else owns the truth but God. And how God defines truth is how truth actually is. I can't come and change that. You can't come and change that. Nobody can change that. We can talk about it. We can hate it. We can make up lies about it. But at the end of the day, we're going to die. And he's going to keep doing and revealing his truth from generation to generation, as the Bible has told us in the Old Testament. Jesus, again, when he's praying to his father, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. And he says, thy word is truth. Now, again, God is the revealer of truth. And he's given us his word to know what truth is. So when people talk about the Bible or quote the Bible, they're quoting what is objectively true. And even saying objectively true is kind of a redundant statement because truth is by definition objective. It's not based on me. It's not based on any person on earth. It's based on God's revelation. So if something is true, then you can say that, yes, it agrees with what God has revealed. Even if it's not found in the Bible per se, like a math equation is not found in the Bible, but because it's based on principles that are true in the in the world that God has created, you could say that, like the phrase that says, "All truth is God's truth." So if that true if that true thing accords with reality, with facts, with with uh, with reason, then it is true, and it's based on what God has revealed, even if it's not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. So the Word of God is true, and God is true, and then we come to the final passages that I want to bring out talking about who Jesus is, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. So when God created the world in Genesis in six days, he made everything by Christ. Christ was not absent during creation because God is three persons in one being, 
Jesus was part of that creation and he was he was the one that actually created. He wasn't part of it as being created himself, but he was the one who created. So it says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So the things that are not seen to the naked eye, the molecules, the atoms, all those things that are that make up matter in the world that we can't see with the naked eye and that even some telescopes can't see. Those were created by Christ. So whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So when people ask the question, why are we here? Why were we created? Why are we even here? We're, we, we, we were created for Jesus. We were created for God. That's what the Bible tells us clearly. So there's no mystery in that, in that question anymore. We were, we were created for him, for his glory, for his purpose, for his plan from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. And it says that he is before all things. And then it says something very interesting here. It says, and by him, all things consist. So there's a term that is that was attributed to the founding fathers of America. And they were mostly known as deists. And they believed that, or at least some of them believed that when God created the world, that he just created the world and pretty much was laissez-faire, hands off. He didn't touch the world after that. But the Bible clearly shows us that the world wasn't just created by God, but it's held together by God. My body, my my heart, my heart keeps beating because God is keeping it beating. My TV, my apartment, my car, all these inanimate objects are held together and are are continue to exist, so to speak, uh, based on the power of God in Christ. So all these things are held together, are compacted together, continue to exist because of the uh, the will of God in them. So everything that we talk about on this show will be based on these principles here of truth. And that now, again, I'm a human, so I will get things wrong. And because I'm not perfect, I can't tell you I'm the truth. So everything that you're going to hear is going to be true because that wouldn't be true. But I will do my best to, uh, to reveal what is true about the certain topics that I mentioned in the preview. So if you want to look at the preview and learn about what we'll be talking about in the future, you can go back and listen to that video. But these will be the principles that I will base everything that I talk about on this show. So thank you. And we will see you on the next show on Do Last.